Oh My Codcast is brought to you by Ty Inquirer. Ty Inquirer is a new multimedia online platform covering news, commentary, literature, and culture in Southeast Asia. Check them out at tyinquirer.com and be sure to like and subscribe to their social media presence. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night! Thank you for tuning in to us no matter where you are in the world. This week we are interviewing former Nok Air CEO Pati Sarasin. He joins us to talk about getting a start in the aviation industry, the problems of running a state-owned agency, and his memory of the Boxing Day tsunami. We also talk about his controversial exit from Nok Air and what comes next for the one-time NBC producer. Make sure to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. It helps us a lot. And without further ado, the podcast. Or should I say, the podcast. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you're from. Welcome to the podcast. I'm sitting here with Kunpati Sarasin, the former CEO of Nok Air and currently doing something really amazing that he's going to tell me about, but he hasn't yet, so I'm very curious. Thank you for joining us on the show. Well, thank you very much. So, tell me about you. You've, you've sort of been back for a really long time now. Tell me about your education, tell me about your background and why you went into the, into the aviation industry when you first came back. Oh God, we're taking back, I'm 58, so we have to take quite a long way back, you know. Uh, but anyway, I, I was educated mainly more in the uh, sort of European and American standard, right? I, I used to live in, uh, in England since 1974. And I was That's about a while. Ten, ten, I was 10 years old, you know, 10, 11 years old. So uh, from then onwards, I never really came back to school in Thailand, uh, but I was never really educated in Thailand. I was in Satit Jula for only like um, in total, more, not more than five years. But then I used to live in Malaysia because my, my father is um, from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So that's why we moved a lot. But hence, anyway, from 1974 onwards, I went to school in England called King's School Canterbury. And then I went to United States for the uh, universities for my both um, the, the undergrad, undergrads and also the graduate school as well. At Clark University for the undergraduates and uh, at American University for my master's. Oh, so you went, you went to school in D.C.? Yes, I did. I was in D.C. for a long time. Is that D.C. in the 80s then or 90s? 90s? It was uh, late 80s and towards the beginning of 90s. So, and then you came back. What, what year did you come yeah, back? No, I, wor- I worked in D.C. for a while. I worked for the uh, NBC. Oh, you worked in broadcast? Yes, a little bit. I uh, was an editor, really. So I wasn't really actually inside the TV. But I, I graduated mass communication okay. on TV production anyways. So that's why I went to the NBC to become the editor. Okay, but, but TV to airlines? That's yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a big difference. Be- uh, in, in between, there's lots in between. Uh, from, from the TV, I came back to Thailand and I started working at the uh, advertising. Okay, so I went to spa advertising um, for a few years. Then I became the general manager of a sort of a production house. And then I was recruited to become the CEO of Bates Advertising, which, which was part of the WPP group. And I uh, worked there for about 10, 10 odd years. 
and then I was recruited to become the airliner CEO. So would you say your first love was broadcast journalism or, yeah, or TV yeah. and movies? It wasn't was airline. airline. Airline never actually came into the picture at all. Never was even thought of, you know. Why did you leave television well, and film? Well, the uh, leaving films and TV is fine, but uh, advertising was my passion, you know. But uh, the beauty about advertising is that you get to work with so many clients. So many brands. We worked on uh, Heineken. We worked DTAC. You know, we work on uh, all kinds of stuff in such a way that you actually learn a lot from all these uh, different products and brands, and how they launch. Then you start seeing the similarities between them all. You know, in terms of how the consumers' behavior. But anyways, the the airlines came about as a sort of a fluke in a way because um, a friend of mine, good, very good friend of mine. Uh, came up to me and asked me to help with the branding of the uh, the low-cost airlines for Thai Airways at that time. And uh, so I was actually thinking about winning the account for my, you know, agency. Naturally, that if we started right from, from zero, that means we're going to get the the clients for sure. So we, I worked on the brand and uh, started, you know, in terms of coming up with the names and designs of the planes. And suddenly the chairman of the Thai Airways decided to asked me to join, to, to run it. I said, look, I, had no, I have no idea how to run airlines. I only know how to do brands and marketing. He goes, well, your friend here is an airliner. So we put the operations and branding together, then you get real good stuff. But I didn't want to do it, you know, because um, I was with Bates. Bates is a global company. Um, the biggest boss was WPP Group, Sir Martin Sorrell, you know, quite famous guy. And he just visited us only about a few months ago, and um, there was a lot of future in it. But hence, anyways, I said, "Look, um, I don't really want to do this. I want to do my advertising, blah blah blah." And he said, "Look, you're going to be helping the country, you know." And uh, he, we actually had conversation with my father, who was anti-airlines at the time. But I think the chairman sort of convinced him and said, "Look, your your son can do really good for the country." So hence, I got the support from my dad to do this. So, uh, so I reluctantly, I took the job. Reluctantly. That was 14 years of it. So, uh, you know, that's how it is. There's that appeal to help your country, right? But, I mean, it, was that the pitch to you? It was like, come, come here, help Thai Airways. Somehow you'll be sort of helping Well, help, country. yeah, exactly. He said the, the low-cost airlines are going to be coming in. The Malaysians are already here. You know, you're Thai. You have to protect the country, skies, stuff like that. And uh, starting a low-cost airlines would be the thing that to prevent it from domination from other country. So that's where the pitch, what the pitch was, and in the end was my, my actually the person who actually forced me to was my father and said, "Look, you got to do this because you have to help the country." So hence I, I took the job, but I was thinking at the time was I was going to do it for three months, you know, well setting it up, launching it, and then we'll find the real CEO, you know, who's airline savvy, right? And run it, and I could take back and say, "Look, I got the, the account for sure and stuff like that." But no. But the thing was, uh, on the launch date, there was a sort of global media sort of a scrum. The BBC was there, the CNN was there, and everyone else was there. You know, so the news spread very quickly. What you don't realize is that when you're in the aviation, it's a such a small world. The words travel fast. Pretty soon, I was all over the world with the airline thing. So that was a killer. So that's how I got stuck in it. And I did it for 14. So. 
But was there any point after your meeting with the Tyreway CEO where you're sort of like driving home, he's like saying, you have to help the country, and you're like, wait, that's a load of crap. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I thought it was three months thing, yeah. you know. The three months thing was like, oh, yeah, come on. Okay, I'll do it, you know, to launch it and stuff like that. Well, that was, I didn't think it was going to be much, much of a news and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, apparently not. It, it became global. Then the words got back to Martin Sorrell, obviously. And he sort of filtered down and said, what the hell's going on, you know? And I said, look, I'm only, only going to be doing this for three months. And, uh, well, no, he said. It didn't, it didn't quite work out that way. Nope. <laughs> so, there we go. Airline was. Jeez. But I imagine coming from advertising to airlines where, where you're not only, I mean, obviously you're, you're launching this new product and you're worried about branding and things which you have experience with, right? Yeah. But there's also other things that factor into to running an aviation company like fuel prices, for example, or, or, or passenger concerns or safety or dealing with IATA and, yeah. and things like and all that. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that must have been a steep learning curve for yes, you. Yes, it was... A Apparently, after my launch, the next day I had to go to Singapore for the regional conference for aviation. And I was actually faced in sitting down next to Tony Fernandez, you know. But then I thought about it and I said, look, t Tony came from Warner Music. So, I mean, it's not much different from what I had to go through, right? But then I, I, had, I didn't know any jargons for aviation at all. So my friend Pia, you know, he was beside me and said, okay, this is the jargons of the airlines, the load factors and all that kind of nonsense. And I was like filtering in. But the, the, the crux of it was at, at the conference when Tony said, look, you guys are all animal airlines. You know, in, in Singapore, they had Tiger Airways and stuff like that. So I got really quite pissed at that point. You know, I said, shit, no. I said, look, and, and then they had the test, a flight test here in Thailand and the AirAsia took the media up and the, the plane had an issue, and they had to come down very quickly. So I said, at least my animal airlines do not have to fly in and fly down in less than 20 minutes, you know, because of our problems. So it became like a war. So you're competitive. Oh, absolutely. I'm always, I've always been competitive. You're still competitive. Yes. So this was, this was not only to save the country, quote unquote, yeah, but also you sat down the next day or the next few days with Tony Fernandez and said, I want to beat this guy. Yes, I want to beat this shit. And that's what I said to myself, you know. But he's a good friend, I mean, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, your competition between friends is, is fine. It's fun, it's fun. So, so you're here starting a new airline. What did Tony have on you? What advantages did he have not working with a, well, a semi-state agency as compared to you? Well, he, he's already got the planes up and running, right? We didn't have a plane. Not one plane yet. We launched the brand without a plane. Just a design. So we had another, what, from February down to July before we started flying. So it was real hard work. You know, there's only five, six guys actually doing this. So we actually, uh, the people who know all about the airlines, the, the actual operations, were running around getting the license up, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I personally put the brand strategic together. And so we came up with it. We said, look, it's going to be so many months after we launch and the news is going to die down about our brand. So what are we going to do? So actually, uh, I got some people from my team to come up with the idea. And uh, one guy who's now my chief commercial, but really cool, actually came up with the idea and said, why don't we do the note hunt? You know, doing uh, searching for the air students through TV channels. And at the time, 
Uh, I think it uh, was uh, True just came out with it. They wanted to launch something on TV. So we put a contest together, choosing air, air you know, suitors. So it continuously building the brand as, as of then to create the Nook girls, you know, to be the good looking girls and so forth. And yeah, and so it, it kept the whole brand going until July when we launched. And then you launched. And then we launched. And then all hell broke loose. And all hell broke loose. Tell me, tell me about the first few months after launch. Like, what was what was the learning experience like for you then? Well, the first time was obviously it was exciting. It was the first time. If you ever run an airline, you'll feel, wow, this is my plane, right? I mean, this is my plane. I can walk in and out anytime I want. I can fly anywhere you want. I want to, you know, sort of the first sort of feeling. So it was really quite exciting because I'm very customer minded already, uh, sort of a consumer centric from advertising. But now we're looking after the mass. It's quite different. So it felt really quite cool to have two planes running, flying up to Chiang Mai and to Udon Thani, you know, and to Hat Yai with only two planes flying in and out. And the plane's design was really cool. And at, at the time, obviously, because the low cost is new, it's a novelty. It's in the news every single day, right? So it felt really good. Until what the first issue came up with was uh, the tsunami, I think. All oh, right, that's that was the same year. Yes, yeah, Boxing Day. I was actually I took a holiday into to Vegas, and um, <laughs> that was a funny story actually. Landed on Christmas Day, and the next day came down to, uh, down to the you know casino table playing blackjack. And as we were you know dealing, um, the guy the coupier asked me, "Oh yeah, where are you from?" I said, "Oh yeah, I'm from Thailand," you know. He said, well, you are? Right now there's a tidal wave in Thailand. I said, just deal the cards, okay, man? <laughs> Forget it. The tidal wave is right here. I'm losing 25 bucks on this hand. But anyway, then I got the text from my, my friend from Hong Kong, who was supposed to be in Thailand for, the, uh, for, the, for Christmas and boxing. He said, look, oh, we've canceled off our trip to, to Phuket. And uh, he said, there's a tidal wave. I said, what? <laughs> you know? So in the end, anyway, um, the, but the, the funniest... When, when did you realize that it was serious? Well, like, there we go. I, I still didn't realize this because I had no calls from my team yet at that time. So I guess everyone was cra going crazy in, in Bangkok, right, in Thailand. But anyway, I went to the restaurant called Tsunami. This was oh, Jesus. Japanese, yeah, really. <laughs> the rest, I still have pictures of that place. And then, and then finally I went upstairs, you know, I turned on CNN. And then that's when I realized. I said, oh my God, this is so screwed, you know. So I had I called back Bangkok from the landline. Obviously, there wasn't mobile phones. Um, he said, "What the hell's going on?" He said, "He said, do I have to come back?" You know, he said, "No, no, no. Everything's in control now." And uh, we were the last flight that took off before the the wave hit the airport. I said, "Oh my god!" And uh, so I said, so, "What are we going to do right now?" He said, "Well, um, then Biat, my friend, actually told me, um, why don't we carry the doctors to help these people?" I said, "Do it." Do it, you know, bring the doctors in and take the sick people out free of charge for the next few days, just do this. So we were the first airlines that actually helped to bring the doctors over to Phuket, you know. So we, we became quite famous with, among the doctors. We made the announcements of both, and um, that was a good start in a way uh, on a sort of take the opportunities from the uh, disaster that took place, right? I think um, in a way you did sort of help the country then. Yes, we did. Unexpectedly. Unexpectedly. But, yeah, but you, well, you we, we've done a few more. Trust yeah. me, we've done a few more. So those were, were, were your first few steps into aviation. Yep. 
what was it like trying to grow a brand against things like Air Asia, which ha already had somewhat of a track record when you already started, right? So like, what was it like trying to t get into their market share? And also, I mean, your, your main shareholders market share in Thai, because they were also flying to the same places yes. you were flying to. Yes. So you're sort of competing with not only the competitors, but also your own parent company. Yes. Was there, was that a problem? Not in the beginning. Um, well, the creating the brand to fight against AirAsia is number one, we have to differentiate ourselves, right? So we were the first Thai, totally Thai brand. We came up with the uh, sort of a positioning, we fly smiles, you know? And we, we, we really accentuate the, the product to be a lot different from what Thai Airways was. Thai, I mean, Thai Airways and AirAsia. And we create a distribution channel. We're the first in the world that's selling our tickets through 7-Eleven and ATM machines. Why? Because internet those days were not that hot. Nobody knows how to use internet and people buying things through the convenience stores. And also we had to face a lot against the travel agencies who wanting the commissions normally when you sell tickets. So by connecting ourselves into 7-Eleven, suddenly we're opening over 5,000 outlets across the country. Two, we don't have to pay any commissions because the service charge is paid by the consumers. And we touch them for the people who, you know, who, who wants to have the convenience of going to these stores and ATMs and all that kind of stuff. So it, that's a differentiating point. And we did that put our brand up right to the top. So in, that, in other words, we were able to sell tickets, our tickets, at least close to 10% higher than AirAsia on every single flight. And it was always full. So we really did well, I mean, in that. But Thai Airways is a bit more of an issue. What happened was that when the low-cost airline started, sort of an, out of the brand, no air seems to be in the news all the time. I think at the time, it sort of created sort of a, some kind of a jealous sentiment a little bit. How come Thai Airways with national you know, carriers, we don't get the same vibe. And we're limited, we can't do this, we can't do things that you can do. So it became sort of a jealous point for, for Thai Airways throughout the whole of my years because there's several CEOs of DD or president of TG that's changed over time, the chairman as well. And Nook Air is consistently 14 years, just one. So I had to go through some, some, some of the president really friendly, some presidents really hated us, and you know, we went through all this saga. So yeah, it was a bit of a sort of a up and down turbulence, you know? Well, I mean, they, the, the thing that I never understood is, so they, when you first started, they were the primary shareholder, yeah? Yep. Then they said you're competing. I mean, there were some headlines that said you, they were competing with your business interest or there have been, you were competing with their business interests. And then they created their own low-cost brand. Yes. That was... Um, Explain that to me. Okay. Now, that started when Kunpi Asawad became the DD, the president of TG. Um, we're good friends, you know. But at the time, he said, hey, Dung, you know, you have to expand quite quickly into the region because we want the Thai Airways to fly somewhere else. And I said, look, we only have eight planes, right? And the eight planes right now is the coverage of Thailand. We want to dominate and save our country. So therefore, right now, the dominance is here and we have to be public first and getting more aircraft before we move on. He said, no, 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 we don't have the time. I said, I don't, I can't, not now. So hence, the news came out that uh, there was going to be Thai Tiger. I, apparently, Tiger Airways from Singapore came up to Thai Airways and said, look, why don't we do joint venture? So the Tiger, Thai Tiger was supposed to come up. And then there was suddenly all this patriotic news 
you know, that uh, Singaporeans and uh, at that time, you know. So in the end, what happened was Thai, Kumbiaswa uh, sort of created this thing called Thai Smile to be totally Thai, so, and the second brand up, so that they could cover the region. They were supposed to position the brand to become like sort of Silk Air for Singapore, you know, but uh, obviously the marketing didn't follow through and it was all over the place. And even since then, it's not never made any money. Now, Nok is a, even though your, your main shareholder is a state agency in, yep. in Thai Airways, you're sort of shielded from that yes. whole political, yes. the political nature that Thai Airways takes yes. sometimes. Do you think that that was part of the reason your branding and your business model took off so well in the early stages? Yes, it was part of the agreement that if I'm going to run this company, it's going to be independent from TG. We have to. I said, we, there is no way in hell that we can replicate TG because it will be the same. So um, the agreement was we're going to be totally separately run. Uh, but obviously on the board directors, there will be a lot of TG people in there. But uh, it's okay. And you know, my character is quite... Uh, Strong. Yes. So it's like a good shield at the point that I said, look, you know, I'm not going to comply. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very direct. Unfortunately, very direct, and I said, "Look, no, I'm not complying. If I can't do it, I won't do it." Right. You know? I mean, you, you don't want to you don't want to get into a new company starting out this venture and have your hands tied by right. by all the political no. stuff that goes no. on with TG and the government and things like that. No, not into that. You know, so I said, "No, this is what we're going to do." But that, that's I think that's the problem that that as you mentioned could be as what might have run into is the the political nature. Yes, of TG. Uh, I mean, poor guy, right? I mean, whoever becomes the president of TG. It's not really running it because at the end of the day, you know, you have the whole board of directors and so forth, whereby they, they're totally government controlled. And um, decision making is very hard, you know, and also it's a public company as well. I should have learned from that, by the way, but I, at, at the point I didn't even think about it. But I knew that politically, TG is under stress. And just because you have a new president for a few years is not guaranteed for success or turnaround. There's no way in hell, even today. To be honest, do you think to turn a profit, companies like, like these state-owned agencies like PTT, SCG, Thai Airways, they need, there needs to be some level of independence from government interference because because yes. every time there's a change of government, there's a change of leadership at these companies. Right? Yes, unfortunately, it becomes sort of political appointees, you know, so that becomes a real issue, right? And um, in, this is sort of things that are happening, you know, that, because you can't really decide on what you really want to do. And there's a lot of players involved. There's a lot of staff involved. And it, it really takes time to do this. You know, I, I would never think of even to consider running tireways or even thought about it, you know. And I'm sure they feel the same way of me not to do it because of my character. It's too much of a forceful, you know, sort of thing. And I wouldn't do it, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like a, such a thankless job getting into that. Let's talk about like like operations of of, of NOC and, and and aviation in general. I yes. mean, obviously, while you were CEO, you were lucky in the fact that there were, had been no major accidents or incidents. No, and that that's you know a good thing, a very good thing. Very good thing. Lucky, um, lucky what, me. And and we live in a region of the world. Thailand's sort of separate from this, but even we were I uh, sort of red are not yellow carded by I, IKO. Yes. In terms of how our aviation industry doesn't have the most rigorous safety standards, like. How do we ensure that going forward that we abide by those standards? Well, 
to be honest with you, we, we went through that because of the fact that the, uh, it, it was a bit unfortunate at the time because obviously the, um, the growth of the airlines and you know, the novelty of it and everything else, people find it so compelling to, to be the fame and all that kind of nonsense, wants to, to run an airline. So at the time they, they had over AOC, which is the license thing, there's over 40, you know, in, in Singapore there's six. And so many airlines, and somehow the IKEA guys came in and found out about it, and then they put on red flag. By that time, my God, it was a bloody mess, right? Because um, we didn't even know how to fix it. Our government didn't know how to fix it. They thought it's to lobby. But the reality, is, it's not nothing to do with lobby. It's fixing the, the, the problems. That's what the, the, you know, the IKEA are looking for. And the problems are safety standards. The safety standard in terms of the procedures and so forth and how you get the AOCs and what you have to do. You have to pass a standard. But the, uh, the government at the time thought, oh, it's just lobbying. You have to lobby the ICO in Canada, lobby people you know, in, um, in Washington, D.C. And at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with this. All you have to do is to follow the procedure. And that's why in the end, they sort of, you know, they learn all about this. And uh, finally taking steps to fix all this, right? But to me, the operations, obviously, 14 years, by that time, you learn a lot about operations. You know, you learn about what to fix and what not to fix. And the key issues of airlines is the fact that you, you are actually in every single business, business when you're doing airlines. It's safety, it's marketing, it's, um, you know, you go through politics, financials, you know, everything is in one. So it's really quite difficult to do this, right? So that's how, how you have to sort of deal with it. Do you think the IKO red flag sort of, um, it prevented the possibility of anything going wrong? Like it helped our country? Yes. And it, it probably prevented an accident down the line? Yes, definitely. The IKO, the safety procedures and so forth, it, when it becomes standard, it is the ticket to lessen the possibility of any any uh, accidents? I mean, you were you were also in the industry over a time period where there were some major incidents within our region. Yes. And our region, I mean, is also one where IKO has sort of red flagged a lot of countries. Indonesia being yes. a particular yep. egregious example of that. Do you think? Do you think? Now that Nok is expanding to the region and Nok Scoot is flying around the things. Do you ever get concerned that some of these places that you fly to don't have the rigorous standards we do and that might lead to problems for your airlines? No, I'm more, I'm more worried about the fact that we're trying to keep this, you maintain the standard that, uh, that we, we took, it, took up you know, with it. It took us a long time. I had an audit team. You know, I was following the procedures. Everything was good. And um, if it is not followed through, then you're screwed. So I'm more worried about that you know, that I'm not there in, in that respect. I'm not so worried about the uh, international standard in terms of flying over there because it's actually our planes that's going there. So, um, and uh, the sad part is that, again, ties are usually, they sort of are lax. You know, they become relaxed. Once it's done, everything's back to normal. It, there's a potential to go back to normal. So, I mean, that's really quite hard. I, I feel, I feel, I feel for the CAAT team who has to try to maintain this, uh, to, to keep the standard going. And, um, and also now, because we're all, all under pressure, the price pressure now, um, the, the things that 
you don't cut is the maintenance cost, which is uh, actually the most second most expensive cost. And first is fuel. That's correct. So, I mean, uh, in a way, it, it might be a good thing that, that the, the market's been so competitive and so cutthroat because a lot of these smaller airlines that may have cut, cut you know, cut the corners on, on certain things are sort of going defunct and, and being bankrupt and getting out of the, right. the business. So that might be a... Well, that's good. That part is good because you actually screen out the, the non-compliance, right? Right. But at the same time, like I said, you know, in order to maintain the, the safety level, it takes consistency. It takes a lot of heartaches, you know, to maintain it. At the end of the day, it's not the planes, it's the people that makes the whole airline work. And you have to put the right man at the right job and so forth. And that's part of my conflict in many ways that make me laugh because if, if I find that, you know, my team is not trying to follow my procedure, that's saying that we put the experts in, you're going to be, you're going to be screwed, you know. You're not going to make money. Let's put it this way. You're not going to make money and uh, it's not going to be better. And uh, hence, after I left, the same thing, you know, continued. So I see it. You didn't change a damn thing on the operations side. That's what happens. I mean, there was also the recent incident where, where Indonesia was also getting blamed for, well, Garuda was getting blamed for the flight that went down. Oh, no, sorry, Lion Air. Lion, 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 Air. Lion, Air. Lion Air was blamed for the flight that went down, and in the end, it wasn't really well, their fault. Lion Air had two, two, three issues. You know, they had a sort of overrun into the sea, over the push over the runway. But the latest, the MAX, is, is different. Yeah, that's, that's Boeing's fault, really, not, yeah. not yeah, really Lion Air's. Can we talk about what has sort of happened leading up to when you left? Sure. And, and, and the pilot strike and everything that happened there? Okay, uh, look, you know, I, like I said to you, my job was more into the marketing side. It's no excuse. I, I'm responsible for the whole company. But much of the operations, I rely on somebody else to, to do this because we have over 3,000 staff, you know. And uh, some, How some, many did you start with? Five. To 3,000? Yes. That's something to be proud of. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yes. But the thing is, um, what happened is that you, there is no way in hell that you can overlook everybody. You rely on your staff, to, to your, your team to actually help to do this. And uh, I didn't even know there was a conflict in the pilots, to be honest with you, until one day I was called in on the phone and said, look, the pilots called me. Said, we have an issue. I said, I, we need to talk to you. I thought there was two guys, you know. This was before the strike, yeah? Uh, it was in October, I think it was. Anyway, I went in. They, they wanted to meet me at Rama Garden. So I went in. There was over 50 pilots sitting there. I said, what the hell's going on, you know? They said, oh, we were, you know, we, we were removed from doing the management, being management of the uh, operations here, on the flight operations. And um, so I said, why did you leave? They said, because we, we were being sarcastic. You know, we said, we want to operate this. Apparently, these guys are sort of uh, uh, the Navy pilots at that time and uh, was undergoing some operation change that they were going to be taken off the roster. They, the, um, the, my friend was actually going to be recruiting the Thai Airways pilots in, reshuffle the whole thing. But it got to a head, you know. And I said, and I had no idea this was going to go on. So I said, all right, let's stop for a minute, right? I said, why don't you take your job back for now? right and let me assess the situation again because there is no way in hell that I cannot come up with a solution that would satisfy everybody so we left it at that and everything was back to normal uh, my friend was not happy you know because he wanted to fire these guys I said look if you fire these guys we have 50 pilots gonna be striking 
you're gonna ruin the whole operations. This October, high season, tickets selling like crazy. You know, and uh, we cannot afford this, not at this time, with no solution or plan B. So anyway, he was pissed off, he took off, you know, and stuff like that. But anyway, we settled for that. The thing came back the year after, in February, on Valentine's Day. Obviously, my friend wasn't going to stop to change this thing, but he wanted to do slower this time. So what, in fact, what the pl his strategy probably was to sort of induct them slowly, the pilots, into the fleet. And Why did he want to fire the other pilots? Well, apparently, these other pilots were, became a clique, you know, and they were giving more flights to their own and the other pilots. Because oh, they were running operations. They were running well. operations and so forth. I, I knew that, but I said, look, there, there must be a way to do this better, right? But uh, anyway, so he was trying to do this, and suddenly there was a strike on one flight, one flight but throughout the day and um, I didn't had no idea you know I was actually driving off to, with my wife for Valentine's dinner and um, then they, a call came in and said listen you better come back to the airport right now because the, the deputy minister of transportation and the DD is now setting up the table setting up a table in the middle of the airport with all the media. I said, what? We're talking about your flight. I said, why? Why, why the media, you know? You don't need the media. You know, it's, it's, it's very internal. But I came in, I came with my shorts, you know. I walked over and it was a zoo. By that time, what happened is that these pilots who's, you know, now escalate the whole thing, right? Because the media is there. So they became such a hype. You know, and then suddenly there was a, like a fallout. They, 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 got, they got fired, obviously. And they, and they, they sort of pulled the, all the other pilots, the 13 of them, uh, to leave as well, you know. But what happened was, what happened was I said, we cannot allow this to happen. And my friend said, look, why don't you leave the, uh, the, the pilots there for 30 days? And I said, no you have to cut them out now because otherwise they're going to be screwing up the whole flight's arrangements all the time. It's not going to work. So, you know, I did my way and we got all the other airlines to f help us and then we changed, finally changed the TPI to, you know, to put everything in perspective. It's just amazing to show that like how, like... It's tough. A few people can just ruin the entire operations of an airline. Yes, sir. I guess it's also true when you're a smaller company as well where you don't have that roster that you can keep constantly... Oh, we, we have we had loads of issues. If you read the book, you will see a lot of issues. We had a, remember the fuel crisis? Yeah. That was one of them. We had the flood. We had the closing of the airports. Remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's tons of them in the book. You know, if you have read yourself, you can see all these things. Politics eventually did make its way into Nokia. But That's yeah. correct. We, we had to go through that. And, but the, 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 the final part was going to public, yeah? The public, thus we were making so much money and high profitable. But then what happened next is that the, comp the like I said, the CAT allowed Lion Air to come, and they came in with 20 aircrafts, and they dumped prices. So as of that date to now, I don't think many airlines are making money, including Lion. They, they, yeah, they flooded the market, right? Yes. But, but what was your reason for the IPO? No, we, we IPO before they came. No, no, I mean, like, what was, what was the, well, like, why did you want to well, IPO? Well, yeah, we, we were planning to IPO because we had to more, get more airplanes. So that was your way of raising yes, money? Yes, yeah. it's raising funds for the, the aircrafts. 
In hindsight, smart idea? In hindsight, I would have done it. I wouldn't have done it. But I think, given the circumstances of expansion, probably we, we had to, anyway. One day or another, right? Yes. Eventually. Eventually, yeah. Tell me what you're working on now, because it okay. sounds exciting. Right now, I'm working on a new company, travel company, called Really, Really Cool. Really, really cool. It is, and it's very cool. Um, it's going to be through three phases. So this is what you worked on after yes. you left Nokia? Yes. It took me a year and a half to put together. Uh, we, we created a company now in, in Thailand that's doing the travel, just normal standard traveling, to get to the feel of the market, which is now really quite successful now. On the second year, it's doing really good. It's a startup, it's entrepreneurial. And uh, as of uh, probably end of next week, we're going to be launching our first application. Wow, okay. Which is going to be very globally, globally. It's going to be downloaded, a uh, really cool application, which is actually to do with the, uh, based on experience. So the application is called a really cool application. Really, really cool. That's actually pretty good. Yeah, really, really cool application. That's going to be first launched, uh, probably around next week or sometime, hopefully. So what differentiates you from other travel? We are based on experience. We're not based on price, on price alone. Okay. Everything has to be cool, you know. We take people skiing. It's got to be cool trips. I don't want. Li I don't like the normal standard tours of you know waking up at five and going on a bus and take pictures and go home. You know. So this is this is like a very um, tailored experience. Yes, it's going to be much cooler experience than that. And, and you've got you've got cool people tailoring these experiences, yes, or this is just stuff you've done in your life. No, we've, we've designed <laughs> we've designed all cool things to to, to make it happen, and uh, it's going to continuously doing that. You know, uh, to to be something differentiating point, and it's it's beginning to tr get traction. And so the application will be a global launch on Facebook uh, around the world, you know. And, uh, and then in the uh, end of the, towards the end of the year, we're launching our first OTA, okay. online travel applications, which is actually uh, written, coded in the States, Los Angeles. And we're going to be partnering with one of the big major media globally. Oh, that sounds exciting. Yes, we're going to be competing against TripAdvisor. Uh, you, you want to give us the exclusive and tell us what it is? Uh, not yet. Okay. Uh, when we're ready, uh, we're going to be... Uh, um, What's the launch date for that? Well, we, we, we're waiting for it now because the coding takes time, right? Right, right. So uh, we're putting all this together now and we're partnering with one of the media companies around the world, globally. So we're going to be... Our, our tag to com competitors would be direct, would be TripAdvisors and Priceline Group. Okay. Yes. But they're, they're more mass, aren't they? Yes, but at that kind of a level. Okay. So, so global, yes. you want everyone involved. Oh, yes. But the, I mean, like if it's a tailored experience, is it going to be more pricey than, than their no. competitors? No, but it'll be cooler. But it'll be cooler. Yeah. Okay. Much cooler. Tell me where we can find it so that our, our, our listeners can know. Well, right now we have a website, worldwideweb, really, really cool.com. Really, really cool.com? Okay. Slash.com. It's, it's fun stuff now. But once we launch the application sometime next week, we're going to make it much bigger, obviously. And uh, once we launch OTA, we're probably going to be launched somewhere in Thailand. And, uh, but it's going to be a global launch. Okay. So really cool application. Yes. On, on App Store yes, and on App Android. Store. App Store. Both Androids and uh, App Store. iPhones. Yep. And then really cool, really cool, uh, really, really cool dot com. Really, really cool dot com. Yes. Okay. That sounds awesome. I hope you. I wish you all the success well, for that. Well, thank, thank you very much. And thank you for um, joining us on our podcast. Sure, sure. Um, come back anytime if you want to yes, bitch about the airline industry because there's always <laughs> things to bitch about. Still very much, still very much involved. I mean, you're still using the word "we," which is uh, which I find interesting because I think 
it's still your baby in some sense, even though you've left it. Yes, well, you know, once you're in the airline business, you don't really get out. You and it's, it, you, it was your thing for 14 years. Yes, and also I'm still very much involved with the airlines still, right, traveling. And I'm, now I'm working with a lot more airlines, obviously, and helping them out as well. So, yes, it's still a fun thing to do. Okay. Anything else to plug? You've got a book, you've got, got a book, an album, got what, what else? Oh, we've got music, we've got applications, we've got all kinds of stuff. We've got teaching a class. I, I teach marketing as well. Where do you teach? It's called World Wide Web, 21st Century, noboxmarketing.com. Actually, I teach that, but I, the, dates are, <coughs> the dates are not fixed. The dates are not fixed because I um, only do it when it's, I have free time. Okay, that sounds great. So check those things out, dear listeners, and thank you for joining me on my podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you.